This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From Atlanta, Georgia, the home of Super Bowl 53. The game, the events, the celebrations. This is a Business Radio special presentation of Wharton Moneyball on the SiriusXM stage on Radio Row. Here are your hosts, Cade Massey, Adi Weiner, and Eric Bradlow. Welcome back. Welcome back to a special edition of Wharton Moneyball, a Thursday edition in Atlanta, Georgia edition, a Super Bowl edition. We're down here, Cade Massey, Eric Bradlow, Audie Weiner. We're down here on Radio Row coming to you live in the midst of all the craziness down here. Fox Radio, CBS Sports, Twitter, Yahoo, everybody. SiriusXM has a big piece of real estate down here. Multiple shows being broadcast at the same time. A lot of fun in advance of a lot of fun. This weekend's going to be a good time. We're trying to soak it all up, trying to talk to folks who are floating around here about football and sports analytics. Rolling into the second half now. We're delighted to welcome Bucky Brooks. Bucky, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Love having you, Bucky. Bucky is with the NFL Network, NFL Media. He's been there. Oh, Bucky, I just dropped it. How many years now? Nine? Ten years. Ten years. Ten years. Ten years. Ten years. About a decade. NFL Media. That's after a playing career and a scouting career. I believe you're out of UNC down in yep, Chapel Hill. And he was drafted. Eric, I don't know if you know this. He was drafted by our boys, the Buffalo Bills, in 1994. Bucky, Eric, and I both have connections. I lived in Buffalo for a couple of years. Oh, okay. I w- you you got there. If I have my years right, you got there right after right the four-year Super Bowl run. Yeah, right after the four-year Super Bowl run. But um, having played and having scouted, to see a team go four years in a row, you now have a greater appreciation. Like It's incredible. To, to just think about the wherewithal to go, lose, and go, and lose, and go, and lose, and go, and lose. Right. But to continue to bounce back, um, they'll never get the credit. Uh, they're just due for being a dominant team because they didn't ultimately win the Super right, Bowl. Right. But I don't think we'll ever see another team go four. Well, maybe. maybe well, maybe Patriots next year. <laughs> maybe the Patriots will go four straight. But just to think about going four straight Super Bowls, that's a level of accomplishment that not many teams can uh, right. pull off. And, Bucky, I, I, when I saw that, I wondered you might have some insight into did they eventually, did it eventually wear them down? And after four years, what was it like to walk into that clubhouse after four years of disappointment in the big game? No, I don't think it was necessarily the disappointment that wore them down. But if you think about football in general, the average lifespan of players or playing career is three and a half years. So that four-year period, they basically cycled out okay. a number of players. And so you get old A lot of Hall quickly. of Famers. Yeah, you get old fairly quickly in yeah. the league. And so when you look at the best players that they had, Andre Reid and Jim Kelly, Kent Hall. Thurman uh, Thomas. Thurman Thomas. Uh, Bruce Smith. All the other Bruce Smith. At some point. They were going to move out of their prime yeah, yeah, yeah. into the backside of the career. And I think ultimately that is what happened to the Buffalo Bills. Okay. Bucky, we want to hear about your work with the NFL medias, and we want to hear about scouting. A lot of, We really want to dig into scouting. But we got to hear a little bit about your playing career because you were a kick return specialist and to the casual fan that looks like insanity. They're almost, I don't know, which is more insane, punt return kick Punt return specialist or kick return specialist? Uh, you, you know, like, I, I specialize in kick return. Kick return, uh, to me, was just easier because it's easier to field and catch a kickoff as opposed to a punt. Uh, punt returners will tell you that it's easier to return punts because if you're able to get past the first wave, it ends up being a bigger game. In today's game, like, kick, re- kick returners are really marginalized because people are always kicking in the end zone. People are electing mm-hmm. to take the touchbacks. It's not necessarily a big part of the game like the punt return is. So if you have a valuable punt returner, 
he is more valuable than what I see. a kick returner. You just to elaborate for me. I'm the, the football moron. That's the way they describe me. He's a, he's a um, baseball guy, but uh, you bear with him. Why why is it so different? Why why can't it be the same person? I mean, what are the, what sets you can, of skills make it so different? You can you can have the same set of skills, but I would I would equate um, when you're a punt returner, it is more like playing in the outfield uh, in baseball. And so if Thank you think you. about trying yeah. to field or catch a, a high fly ball playing mm-hmm. center field and being able to track it, that is more like catching a punt. A kickoff is a little more linear. Um, you don't have to necessarily have great depth perception mm-hmm. to be able to catch a kickoff. Um, in terms of hands and those things, like kicks off, kickoffs are easier because the way they come down, you can kind of trap them against your chest. Punts, you have to have great hands. And so normally when we're scouting, we talk about multi-sport backgrounds. I typically wanted guys that played secondary and were return kicks that had a baseball background because uh-huh. I knew they could track balls in the air. Well, so, Bucky, this is a really a great point that you just brought up, which is I'll call it general athletic skills, especially for certain positions in the NFL. Could you uh, you just talk a little bit about it? Could you elaborate on that? Like as you're thinking about drafting someone for skilled positions, how important is it that they played multiple sports in your mind? It's very, very important. Um, and I know we're kind of having a, a, a time when it comes to youth sports where guys are specializing. And what I would do is I would encourage younger players to play multiple sports because multiple sports allow you to develop different skills. So for instance, for offense and defensive linemen, guys who have wrestling backgrounds are really, really intriguing. If you look at the Patriots, the Patriots have had offensive and defensive linemen that have been state champion wrestlers. They understand leverage. There's a level of strength and power. At wide receiver, basketball backgrounds are big. When you think about DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins was an accomplished basketball player. So when you see him make these contested catches with guys draped over him, it's very similar to making a rebound in basketball. Uh, Baseball players playing in the secondary, being able to track and judge balls. There is something to playing other sports that help you become really, really good at your Mm -hmm. skills in football. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because there's, I mean, in 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 the elementary schools in particular, it's this insane specialization they play 365 days one sport but the data analysts like guys like us who i haven't done this actually but i'm interested in have argued exactly the opposite that the best performance comes from people who play multiple sports yeah i I mean absolutely and it's funny when i talk to baseball um general managers scouts they're saying that they're looking for guys that come from multi-sport backgrounds because guys who have been playing baseball or one sport the entire time they have a tendency to be able to burn themselves out or kind of tap out what their development could be whereas a guy that has played other sports and hasn't fully dedicated himself to one sport there's still some potential some developmental potential for them we're talking to bucky brooks he's an analyst for nfl network and nfl.com he's also a former player before moving into pro personnel scouting for the seahawks and the panthers can you tell us about that transition from player to scout and then now from scout to media how did you do both of those steps well it was interesting because i always was fascinated by the team building process even as a kid i loved um and always wondered how were championship teams constructed now i'm a carolina grad but i grew up watching carolina basketball so watching dean smith and the basketball team how did he put it all together and so i was always intrigued by that process so when i became a player and i was playing in the pros i made it known very very early in my career i would love to be on the other side oh is that right i would love to see um what it's like to kind of put it together and have success and because i played for a bunch of coaches that were either hall of fame coaches or super bowl winners i assume marv um, levy was marv levy mike holmgren uh marty schottenheimer tom coughlin i've heard of them yeah we've heard of them so those were the guys that had an impact and then ron wolf really impacted me because ron wolf hall of fame uh executive 
he was one who encouraged me to move from wide receiver to defensive back. And then watching how he put together the 96 Super Bowl team for the Green Bay Packers, it just led me to want to kind of dive full feet in into that, that pro personnel world. Got it. So did, it, I'm always kind of interested in why a guy decides to do pro personnel versus college. So I, I actually did college personnel. And I will say the differences between pro personnel and college personnel, pro personnel is a little more apples to apples. I'm not projecting as much. It is really more so how does this guy fit into what we're doing. Okay. College, you're projecting what a kid could be right. and how he fits. So your misses are more drastic in college yeah. because they're more variables to why someone yeah. would succeed. Yeah. Whereas a good pro scout should be able to just look at a player and say, hey, this guy fits what we do. Mm-hmm. We want to bring him in, and here's what his value is. Mm-hmm. So, I've, Bucky, I've always had the following view of, let's call it the human scouting element, the eyeball test, as they say, versus the data. I've always tried to say, like, I've done some work for the Eagles for a lot of years in scouting and other things, and one of the things I always said is, if the eyeball says something and the data says something different, then that's the time to ask a question. Am I thinking about the data the wrong way? Like, it's not like one or the other, but, you know, if, you know, if you're about to draft someone and, you know, you're working for the Seahawks or the Panthers and you say, this guy's fantastic, and then, you know, whoever the GM is looks at their sheet and says, wow, the data doesn't suggest the same thing. That's the time in that quick interval to ask a question. How do you think about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It should be complementary. Like, you don't necessarily work against each other. Like, you can't just always rely strictly on the eyeball test and say, well, I see his, his, his size, I see his speed, I see those things. He should be a good player. At some point, you want to see production to back that up. And also when it comes to analytics and there's some baseline things when it comes to physical dimensions and characteristics that you would like guys to hit. Um, having not worked on it, but having learned a lot from Ron Wolf and his disciples, John Snyder and Scott McLuhan and some of those other guys, we were very, very big on a standard list of measurements that guys had to hit. For instance, we wanted cornerbacks that were 5'10 or taller. We wanted um, offensive tackles who may be 6'4 or taller and had a certain wingspan or Mm -hmm. length because on average those were the guys that played in the league and so it doesn't mean that you can't have exceptions but what you're trying to do is you're trying to give yourself the best chance Mm -hmm. to get it right and a lot of times when you look at who has played in the league and how they perform those guys give you an Mm -hmm. opportunity to get Mm -hmm. it right how do you how has your evaluation of players changed over time you've been doing this now for you know inside the league and then with the nfl um for over 15 years so how have have you evolved as a scout the league has changed a lot and i think in the last couple years we've seen the league change even more i think baker mayfield going number one overall right kind of signal a changing of the guard of the at the league level right when it comes to Standard dimensions. You were surprised, right? I was, I was surprised because we had never seen a guy of his stature go mm-hmm. at that. Now, I know Michael Vick went, but the difference was Michael Vick was an A-plus athlete. Mm-hmm. Michael Vick had remarkable physical traits that led you to believe, like, yeah, I know he may be a little height deficient, but this other stuff makes up for it. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield was a good player. We could even say he was a great player in college, but he didn't have physical skills that necessarily wowed you. Okay. So to see a guy who was an undersized quarterback by standard dimensions go number one strictly on what he did on the field, mm-hmm. that was uncommon. Mm-hmm. But now he has opened the door for other teams to be daring and to take a guy who may not necessarily fit a standard, which bodes well for a Kyler Murray well, and some of the other guys. I was just come. saying, we're sitting here on Sirius XM, studio, Sirius XM here at the Super Bowl, and Kyler Murray is one of the guests. I was going to ask you, how do you think of Kyler Murray? 
Well, I, I mean, I think Kyler Murray absolutely has the talent to be a first-round pick. And I think if you look at his numbers and multi-sport athlete, multi-sport athlete, the fact that if you go back and you talk to people in Texas, how he performed in a, as a high schooler, some would tell you he may have been the best high school player to ever play in the state of Texas. Just real clear, he he had three straight national champions in the biggest uh, division, the 6A division. Though. 6A division. So he may be the best player to ever play high school ball. And then when you look at the fact that he is a world-class player, he is a guy who is worthy of being a first-round pick in baseball, you see the speed, then you look at the numbers. Production-wise, they're very comparable to what Baker Mayfield. When you look at the eyeball test and you look at the film, you're like, he's a wild player. You have to think <laughs> that he is going. And the only reason you can kind of ding him is because he doesn't meet, he doesn't meet an acceptable standard when it comes right. to the height. But how much do you think of – let's even imagine I, – I do agree with you. But let's imagine I agree with you and I say he could be fantastic – but what about the length of his career? Do you start to think, you know what, because he's a smaller size player, he's not Ben Roethlisberger size, where he may be great for three years, but he just gets hit once or twice. He's well, not 6'5". Well, can, can I ask you real quickly, though? We don't, no. It doesn't have to be a hypothetical about Murray. No, no, we've no. Got, we've got Lamar Jackson kind of playing it out right now. He's not as big a guy, and he's taking a lot of hits. So, yeah, so how do you trade off in some sense? Well, his I'm, peak I'm, is really high, but his length may be really so, short, if so, you like. So, so here's... The thing, and I wonder what is going to happen with the league, and this is something that kind of falls in your guys' wheelhouse. Um, quarterbacks, once they, once they make a certain amount of money, it is hard to build the rest of the team. And so we've seen of late the Philadelphia Eagles, we're looking at the Rams, we're looking at some of these other teams. They're winning with quarterbacks on small deals. Will we ever get to a point where teams are beginning to cycle out the quarterback position where wow. we look at other positions wow. because they're, they're only – a handful of real elite quarterbacks. So what if someone was on the forefront and said, we're going to treat quarterback like another position? Every five or six years, we're going to get a new we'll one. Well, I know what you think of that, And Kate. we'll continue to keep mm -hmm. that, that number low so, so we can build up the rest of so the team. So I'm wondering, like, for Kyler Murray, I have two questions about Kyler. I'm very interested in him because he has a, a baseball contract, and we don't know what he's going to actually do. So he's very, I mean, on, uh, for quarterbacks, he's absolutely on the short side. He's 5'9", 5'10". How many successful, just a baseline, this is the first thing we do with statisticians, as a baseline, how many 5'9 quarterbacks have had a successful careers in the not, NFL? Not, not many. I, mean, is it I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think we've had any. Yeah, I think do you consider you, Doug Flutie successful? You would have to point to Doug Flutie. Like, even if you go to Meh. the sub six, yeah. it would be the Doug Fluties, the Russell Wilsons, um, Drew Brees falls in at six, and Michael Vick, but, but five and nine is not it's, six. It's, it's but an exception. But it's lucky, a, it's it, an exception. How successful would Doug Flutie have been? Another Buffalo connection, by the way. If we pulled him into 2019, oh, well, he'd, he'd be very be, successful. He'd be more successful, right? The game, the game plays to those strengths, and so the thing that we're having to do is we have to look at okay, this is the player. How are teams going to use the player? Before it was all about old school. Was this is my system? I need you to fit my system. New school is. Oh, this is what you do well. I'm gonna build what we do around what you do really, really well. Fantastic. Can you do that Fantastic. every five years? I mean, well, is that I, something that's so practical. I, so I think, I think looking at the team that is without question the best team in the league, the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots have shown you that you can adapt and evolve. Let's just look at what Tom Brady has been able to do over 18 years. He came in as a game manager midway through the year. He became midway through his career. He became the playmaker, and now as he's closing his career. He is back to still being more the game manager. 
great coaches are able to evolve and adapt. That's how you have to succeed. So, Bucky, you sure you're not a statistician like us? I'll tell you why. <laughs> what you said was really interesting because you said, look, there's only a few real elite quarterbacks. You can figure that out in five and six years. If it is, then spend the money. But if not, there's this whole, let's call it, indifferent set of quarterbacks where one's as good as another. Why not just keep cycling through until you find one? Are you sure you're not a statistician? I mean, I pay close attention to it because I have always wanted. There has not been a quarterback that has been a $20 million quarterback that has won a Super Bowl. Once they get paid, it changes the way that you have to build the rest of your team. So if someone's on the front end where either they cycle them out or they hold a hard line, this is what we allot to the quarterback, and you take it or we move on to the next one. No one has been bold enough to do that, but I think the sweet spot at quarterback is $18, 19000000 million. Tom Brady's right at 20. Mm-hmm. They've been able to be successful because they're able to manage all the other areas of the team. Mm-hmm. Will, uh, will the, if Kyler Murray does get drafted, will they be able to match the salary he pulled from the Oakland A's? Oh, and he'll make more money playing football than, right away. than baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right away. Lamar Jackson was guaranteed right around seven to eight million dollars. So by going and he was to the bottom of the first bottom round. of the first round. So if Kyler Murray gambles and goes in the first round right away, he makes more money than he would make in baseball. And he's got to give back his bonus if he does that. He, so right right now, the only thing he is taking, he's taking a million dollars and there's three point one left. If he kind of comes in in March, he gives that money back. But he'll more than make that if he's a first round pick. Bucky, we approach player evaluation more analytically. I like to think that we're humble about it. I like to think we've learned by experience that our models are limited. You're not coming at it from that perspective. You're, 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 you've played. You evaluate these guys with much more expertise than we can. What would you tell the analytics community about how we can be better? Like, what are we missing? What are we getting wrong? How could we be more valuable to a person like you or to the guys, the traditional scouts in the team, with the teams? Man, it's really tough because I feel like there's been this line in the sand where you have the football players or the football guys and then what they call the stats guys or the yeah. geeks. Yeah. And I think <laughs> the teams that get it right will find a happy median exactly. where they can blend the data with the film. And the good evaluators are able to kind of lean on that. It can't necessarily be all one way or the other, yeah. but I think a good blend can help you. We always talk about cross-checking and being able to check off all the boxes where if there is something that stands out um, from an analytic standpoint that gives you pause well that means we need to discuss it we need to look at the tape and then kind of figure out how to go about it when it comes to this player Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you've worked you've talked to a lot of quants and and stats and and geeks and what would you say characterize those that you find most productive to talk to versus those that you don't have as much productive conversations with oh i think i think if you can take what the numbers say and back it up with a little i don't know like what i call film data or being mm-hmm. able to kind of just show because i think we're visual so so football guys are visual so if you can show them where it comes that's when you get them mm-hmm. one of the best things i like to look at which would fall under the analytics crowd would be the what we call the the hit chart from quarterback so when you see the charts where they target balls over the field yep that stuff is real because way back even in the late 90s, we were using those things to see where the people catch balls, where the quarterbacks like to throw, yep. and those things. Those things matter, and they make coaches and players mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. So, Bucky, I've always wanted to ask some of the scouts this question. Let's just, to, for simplicity, imagine there's three dimensions of quality of a football player. Would you rather have someone that's a 7-7-7 seven, seven, seven out of 10 on those three dimensions or someone that's a 5-5-10? Five, five, 
Like, are we now in a league where you can be great at one thing and okay at others, or would you rather have someone that's just above average on all? I'd rather be great at one thing mm-hmm. and have a coaching staff that is able to adapt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing that I've the, – what I've learned, I hate to keep bringing up the New England Patriots, but Bill Belichick, the reason the Patriots are able to succeed with guys that don't necessarily work other places, he only asked them to do what they do really well. And mm-hmm. the great coaches understand that if I always put my guy in a position to succeed, he won't fail. And so I would rather have a guy that is an A-plus talent in one area and use him as a specialist because the league is really a league full of specialists. The great coaches understand it, mm-hmm. and they're humble enough to choke down their system or tailor their mm-hmm. system to mm-hmm. give their best players the best opportunity to play to their strengths. Well, you're taking us back to the Pats, and, of course, they're playing the game Sunday. How will you take in the Super Bowl? How do you think you watch it any differently than the average fan, and do you have any rooting interest in that? Are you allowed to have a rooting interest? He's no, predicting so I, the so, Pats. I, so I actually will be working for Sky Sports in the U.K. Okay. And what we, I'm, I'm fascinated by a couple of different things. I'm fascinated by the fact that the Patriots have been able to evolve They've even evolved over the last four weeks. They went from being a team that was throwing around the yard to, hey, the Buffalo Bills game, week 16, we need to run the football. Everyone else is playing spread, three receivers, four receivers. The Patriots have turned back the clock and become more of a two-back traditional team. I told you, Bucky, and I agree. (laughs) This is what I've been saying. And what happens is all of these teams that built their defenses to stop the spread sets, they now can't stop old-school power football. Mm-hmm. The one thing that Bill Belichick has been able to recognize is when everyone is zigging, they zag, mm-hmm. and that's what works for them. But he will meet a guy in Sean McVay who is outstanding at creating opportunities for his guys. Mm-hmm. What they do with the play-action passing game, mm-hmm. faking the ball to the running backs and then throwing the ball down the field, they're terrific. They also keep six and seven men in for pass protection. So what that ensures is that their quarterback is always protected. He doesn't take sacks, and he's able to push the ball down the field. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing in the league, when you guys study all of the quarterbacks, you'll notice that when people throw deep, they're keeping six and seven in. When they throw short, they're releasing everybody out. Mm -hmm. That has been the new trend that's kind of evolved Mm -hmm. in the league. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Listen, Bucky, we we love to visit with you. Appreciate you taking time out of this busy week to be with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I loved it. Absolutely. Bucky Brooks, NFL Network Analyst, former NFL cornerback and kick returner. He was with the pro personnel departments at both Carolina and Seattle. Enjoyed the last visit with you, Bucky. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 